Welcome back. I'm Steve Jackson, and this is Take It to God. This is episode nine and part two of the series, The Movie Message. I'd highly recommend downloading episode eight, which uh, is the beginning part of the series. In this episode, I'm going to invite my friend Nathan back, and we're going to continue the discussion about how Yahweh uses movies and television to present a message to the entire world. So let's continue. Now, I want to discuss a television show, um, and it's The Office. Um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. Um, now, there's the American version, which I, I plan on discussing as well, but there's also the um, British version, and the British version was um, the original version. Uh, Ricky Gervais was the one who created that, and he's the one who uh, is the, one of the executive producers on the American version of The Office. But he created the British version around the year 2001, which goes back to the thing I was talking about with the corrected Hebrew calendar, which would say that the seventh millennium starts 2001. So I found it interesting that this particular show, which I want to discuss, started 2001. And the reason this show is interesting is not necessarily about the humor. The humor gets kind of body and, you know, it's, it's very British in that way. And, and even the American version can get pretty intense. But the thing that Yahweh made very, very clear to me is the relationship between Pam and Jim, or the British version was Don and Tim, D-A-W-N and Tim, and their relationship. And God showed me that that, that relationship, at least with Pam and Jim, that that relationship was the purity, the love and purity that he wanted with his bride. Now, they went through a lot of things to get to the spot where they were finally ready for each other. Jim was with Karen for a while. And that was after Pam was with Roy. And when she broke it off, Jim got with Karen. And when Jim was having problems with Karen, Pam decided to start dating Roy again. And it just was this vicious circle. And it just seemed to never end. And sometimes we get in that relationship with Yahweh where we just can't hone it down. I think Job's a great example. I think Joseph's a great example. I mean, we have those moments where... We feel like we're doing the right thing, but we're not connecting with Yahweh the way we want. And if we really desire that relationship, we fight to try to get to those spots. And sometimes God's like, not yet. And then we kind of wander off and then God has to come and get us and save us from the world. And it's this give and take so often. And I think, um, like I said, the relationship between uh, Tim and Dawn, D-A-W-N, and Jim and Pam is exactly what the relationship between Yahweh and I should look like. It should always have that ebb and flow. We should always get to those spots where we have to discuss things, where we have to argue things out, when we fall more in love with each other. Um, those things are a part of a relationship. And like I said, in, the, in my next topic, when we discuss these things about relationships, I'm going to get further into that. But I want to play a clip, um, and this was towards the end of season three, I believe, where Pam is, this is a talking head of Pam, when she's discussing um, the fact that she's kind of come to the conclusion that the potential of a romantic relationship between her and Jim has ended. Uh, he's about to maybe get a job up in New York at the corporate headquarters of Dunder Mifflin, and he's with Karen at that moment. And so she just assumes, you know what, things just didn't work out. We're just going to be friends forever, and we'll just call it good. And that's where... This is actually where the season ends, and this is before they go into season four. But I want to play this clip so you can kind of hear what I'm talking about. No, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm optimistic. 
and uh, I had fun goofing around with Dwight today. Jim and I are just too similar. Maybe one day I'll find my own Karen. But you know, that is a, um, you know, not a man, a man version. But uh, until then, I can hold my head up. Now, let me ask you a question, Jim. You're clearly a very bright guy. Thanks. Always hit your numbers, personable. You make a great impression on everyone you meet. I'm sorry, wait, so was the question, how did I get to be so awesome? Because <laughs> I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> Uh, oh, hey, do you have your quarterly numbers? Yes, absolutely. The questionnaire. Yep. Sorry to make you fill that thing out. Oh, no, absolutely. Stupid HR formality. We have this very irritating HR guy here. He's probably the only person you're not going to like. Now, I'm going to pause right there. Um, when he pulls out his quarterly reports, just so that you get a visual of what happens, um, he notices a note from Pam in there that says, don't forget us when you become famous. And there was a little trinket attached to it that had referenced back to an old episode where they had done some office Olympics and they had created all these different awards with yogurt tops. And she had kept a couple of them. And so she attached this note that says, don't forget us when you're famous. So when there's this kind of dead silence from Jim, it's because he's starting to reflect on that relationship with Pam. Kendall. Ugh. So <clears throat> first up, yeah. how do you think you function here in New York? What's that? Oh, uh, great. You know, I just, um, I really appreciate the buildings and uh, the people. And um, there's just an energy that New York has. Uh, mm -hmm. Not to mention they have places that are open past eight. So that's a <laughs> bonus. You've been in the Scranton branch a long time. What have you liked most about that place? The friendships. Okay. Well... We want the person who takes this position to be here for the long haul. So, long haul. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? I haven't heard anything. But I bet Jim got the job. I mean, why wouldn't he? He's totally qualified and smart. Everyone loves him. And if he never comes back again, that's okay. We're friends. And I'm sure we'll stay friends. We just, we never got the timing right. You know, I shot him down and then he did the same to me and... But you know what? It's okay. I'm totally fine. Everything is gonna be totally fine. Sorry. Um, are you free for dinner tonight? Yes. All right. Then it's a date. So I find that interesting, and every time I, I listen to that, I still kind of get the chills because it just kind of re-emphasizes this give and take, this battle with Yahweh this, that, uh, that we see throughout the scriptures. We really, really do. Like I said, very specifically with Job, where there was nothing that Job did wrong, and there was this battle, you know, and first there were minor things that he could do to Job, and then there was greater things where he was killing off his family and, and his livestock and just leaving Job to be by himself. And so there was this battle, and the same thing happened with, with Joseph. Um, with, you know, he goes into slavery, then he, then he gets into Potiphar's house, he's doing a great job, and then his wife claims that um, she, you know, he tried to 
sleep with her and then he has to go back into prison. And there's always this give and take so that when it finally happens, when you finally reach that spot, you're all in it together. And right there, the minute Jim came into the room, he said, are you, are you free for dinner? And without thinking twice and looking at a schedule, she goes, yes, yes, I am ready. Because she had finally battled through all that stuff like that. She knew what she wanted, but she, was, she had given it up. She had released it. And once she released it, that's when it came back to her. And that's another great thing about surrendering. It all ties back to the stuff with the Matrix, is that she had finally surrendered that relationship over, assuming that they would just remain friends. There'd be nothing more than just a friendship. And it was because all that happened that when she finally ran into the situation where Jim said, do you want this relationship? She was like, absolutely, absolutely. And obviously he was the same way as well. Another great example of this relationship between Jim and Pam is it's in season five, and I believe it's episode 15. Um, and it's part two of a, of, of a combo called Stress Relief. And uh, actually, Nathan Rhodes, who I'm going to bring on here in a little bit to discuss a little bit more about The Office and some other movies we want to discuss, um, introduced me to this episode because I hadn't watched much of season five. He says, oh, you got to see this, this episode. It's really, really funny. And then I ended up hearing this stuff with Pam and Jim and uh, realized there was also some other meetings for the purpose of why I had to watch this episode. Um, but in this episode, Jim and Pam are finally married and uh, Pam's father and mother were, were separated and were considering getting a divorce. And so Pam's dad was living with Jim and Pam and Jim had talked to Pam's dad uh, about some stuff. And it seemed like the relationship between Pam's mom and dad was getting worse after whatever Jim said, but he wasn't sure what he said that made it seem like it got worse. And so at the end of the episode, her dad finally talks with Pam and explains what Jim said. But in the episode, you don't hear what they're talking about. You just see Jim watching them talk outside and you can see the panic as to what did I do? And so she comes back in to tell Jim what her dad said that Jim had said to him. So what did he say? Was it my fault? Yeah. He said that you told him how much you love me. About how you feel when I walk in a room. And about how you've never doubted for a second that I'm the woman you want to spend the rest of your life with. I guess he's never felt that with my mom, even at their best. You okay? When you're a kid, you assume your parents are soulmates. My kids are going to be right about that. Now, before this whole thing took place, um, she knew that Jim had said something to her dad. And so she was like, what did he say to my dad? When is he going to say that to me that's going to end our relationship? But in reality, it was there was so much love between Jim and Pam that when her dad saw that, he realized that he never really had that in his life. And so it was, it was hard then to compare. He had finally been introduced to pure love, had finally been introduced to what a trueness of love was, and he realized that the relationship that he had was not that. And I'm not promoting divorce or anything like that, but I'm just saying there is a point when you get and you have to really evaluate your situation and say, why am I here? What is the purpose? Yahweh, what do you want me to do with what you've given me and where I am? That's very important. And with that relationship between Jim and Pam, 
if our relationships here on earth are supposed to be second only to that relationship we have with Yahweh, then if that, unfortunately not being so typical, but is truth and can be found in relationships, I've seen it, then what is the intensity of the level that of relationship that we have with Yahweh? What possibly could that look like? I mean, that takes a vast imagination to, to imagine the kind of connection that we should have with our Creator. That's what He desires. So we should walk into situations and go, man, just to be in His presence is amazing. Better one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's pretty intense. That's pretty, pretty, pretty intense. And that is a relationship. But do we really experience that? There's a lot to surrender in our lives if we want to get to that spot with Yahweh. But that's what he desires with us. Not just in eternity, but now. Starting now. Starting today. He wants that to evolve into that situation. And that requires a daily time of building a relationship with him. That's the most important thing. The rest of it will just be there. And like I said, we'll talk about that in the, in the next episode when I discuss relationships. All right, for the second half, I wanted to bring in, uh, once again, my friend Nathan Rhodes. Um, it was interesting. We had uh, finished that first uh, episode where we talked about leadership and the congregational relationship. And um, shortly after that, Nathan had said he had gotten some stuff um, about some movies that he was seeing and how that tied in with some other devotionals that he had. And uh, um, I said, ah, this would be perfect for this episode that just uh, that kind of ties everything in together with what we were talking about before. Um, and so uh, Nathan and I are both uh, fans of The Office, and so um, I thought he'd have some interesting insight that as well. And we'll move on to some other movies as well. But uh, Nathan, thank you once again. No problem. I, uh, I appreciate being back. Yeah, it's always a, always a pleasure to get to chat with you about these things. So uh, basically, like I said, I started with The Office. I started about the, the, the love that was between um, uh, Jim and Pam and how that was such a great picture of purity and love. Yahweh was using that as an example of what he feels about the church and hopefully, hopefully what the church feels about him and how that relationship works. There's always that give and take. There's sometimes where, you know, we've sought after Yahweh and, and he comes and gets us. And then he says, okay, you're going to, might be wandering in the fields for a while. You're going to wander in the wilderness for a while, and then I'll come and get you. But it's that process, it's that building and getting to know each other that's so important. And um, uh, before we go on to some of the notes I had, I know you had brought up something about uh, the office as a whole, some stuff that you were seeing and how that ties in with the church. What were you getting on that? Well, I, I think just kind of the series as a whole, when you kind of look at it, just all the imperfections and kind of quirks and oddities about everybody there, how in the end, you know, that kind of ends up complementing each other, and, and that's what makes them who they are in the show. You know, they end up, even though Michael's maybe not the prototypical leader and, and the salespeople aren't, aren't your typical salespeople, and just kind of all these different uh, personality and character issues, right. you see as a whole, as a branch of Scranton, you know, through the series and through the, uh, the course of the show, actually ends up being the strongest, the strongest branch out of all of them, uh, sales-wise, and what they're able to do, and, and kind of the last branch standing, and and I think that's kind of a good picture in some ways of the uh, of the church too, mm-hmm. you know how it's all those kind of those oddities and and um, 
those things that kind of play off of each other that it's not necessarily everybody's strengths, but it's where everybody's able to kind of fill in and, and maybe even kind of touch on what we talked last time about the body, you know, just how those all fit together and connect and work together. And that's, that's what makes them who they are. And it's kind of a, in some ways, maybe even a comforting picture of family is that, you know, we're, we're all in this together. They're all in that together, even though they do have some, uh, some definite, uh, some definite personalities and, uh, and characters in there right. that, uh, be uh, wouldn't be the most typical. So. The other thing I find interesting when you say that is the office. I mean, they were such a kind of a motley crew. You would think that they just wouldn't connect well, that they wouldn't do a good job. But in the long run, they end up doing a perfect job. They end up being the strongest branch. They end up uh, doing the best in sales. And there's such an odd group. The way I describe it is, it's like now. One person was Methodist. One person was Episcopalian. I mean, they they were all these massive, diverse groups, which you would think would have nothing in common, but they ended up joining together because they had a central focus. They became a very, very, very strong body, not even just in their uh, business ability, but also as a family, as a, as a uniting force. Um, they were very strong. They supported each other. And even, even when they didn't get along, even when they disagreed with each other, they always ended up coming back together and uh, making the connection even stronger. Well, and, and I think you see that, you know, with, uh, with the relationships like between Jim and Dwight, even through through all of Jim's uh, kind of practical jokes and pranks and, and Dwight being overly serious and stuff. You know, Dwight's mm-hmm. the one defending Jim when, when Roy comes rushing in. And right. you've got Dwight with uh, with Pam kind of comforting her during uh, during her time after she'd broken off her engagement with uh, with Roy and with stuff Roy, like that. Yeah. And you kind of see those those interactions between all the office staff that even though they have um, even maybe tensions and uh, and disagreements or dislikes that that they're able to put those aside at, at various times or different times to come together and do things and, and like you say, kind of accomplish things as a group that uh, that individually they may have a hard time doing and and it's just again in some ways I think just kind of a comforting picture of family and and maybe in some ways a small picture of the church and what it what it is and can be that it's not that everything looks perfect or everybody is perfect or or all those things, but there's something in that, uh, I guess, in that imperfection, you could say, that that just kind of makes it work. Yeah, Dwight and Jim I find uh, very interesting because they actually proved themselves to be quite the sales team. Like, they would go out and they would sell so well. Um, and they because they had this great experience together. I mean, they were total opposites, and they drove each other crazy. But when they had a mission... They were able to tackle it, and they had this in, internal language that they even had, and uh, it was amazing to watch them. And, and it, it just went to prove that even though you would think they're total opposites and they'll never be able to connect, they could never do something. They had a common goal, and they knew how to dominate in that field once they got together. It was amazing it was to watch It was game time. It was game time, yep. Yep. Exactly, they exactly. Their differences and do what needed. Yep. Right, exactly. And technically that's, you know, when... When, and granted, that wasn't a crisis, but that was a moment of something that, you know, drove them together. And they were, you know, full force. And I think inevitably the enemy has this great opportunity to break that because when he introduces all these negative things, hatred and bitterness and, you know, turf rivalry, all those things like that, um, when you start introducing those things, you know, the body just starts to kind of get destroyed. And that kind of ties in with this other thing. Um this scene that is is 
you know, kind of a funny thing. This is uh, during uh, Michael Scott's birthday, and of course, you know, he wants all the attention on himself, but he's not getting it because they're they're more concerned with with Kevin, um, who's the uh, hev- heavy set accountant. Um, he went to the doctor, and uh, they were testing that he might have skin cancer, and so they. You know, they had to run all these tests and stuff like that. And um, actually, this is a deleted scene, but it's something that Dwight um, had said. And I found it very interesting because I I thought it applied to the church really, really, really well. And uh, let me play that for you. To think that a man's skin could turn on him. It's brilliant because you'd never expect it. Most people think of their skin as an ally. Makes me rethink having skin at all. I mean, obviously that's a ridiculous concept, but I find it, it it's very true. When the body starts introducing things into itself because of outside environment or something that they've allowed in, um, the body starts to turn on itself. Yeah. And and that's very much the case with inside the church. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, and just just kind of this comment about, you know, that that, uh, that he didn't expect it and kind of that idea, like you said, as crazy as it is, that maybe you'd be better off without the skin. Right. I think there's some times that, you know, we can look at that and laugh and uh, and kind of and uh, brush it aside, but does that really happen in church situations where we start looking and say, you know, are those things really necessary? Are those people maybe the tonsils that we don't need anymore, or the appendix, or are those things that we kind of start to look at and try to... Uh, Try to maybe figure out ways that we could do without, or, or that that we could get by without uh, without having them involved. And and I think again, those things just start kind of small, but uh, things are next thing you know, you're cutting out major major systems of the body and doing uh, trying to do things and functioning things that either you're not supposed to or that uh, that you can't do without uh, what's there. So right. Well, and that's what disease and cancer is. I mean, and something that I had thought about. I mean. Um, to get rid of that, uh, sometimes you have to kill things off. I mean, that's what chemotherapy is to some extent. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a very painful ordeal, but it's basically, you know, knocking out the cell so they can regrow. So hopefully they regrow correctly, you know. So, I mean, the whole body goes through a, a terrible, terrible, you know, fight just to clean itself up. And yeah. sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, I, I see that as uh, as something. And the reason that I bring that chemotherapy thing up is because... I have this little unique story that I that I had. I thought uh, might be interesting. Um, there's a friend of mine who lives probably about I'd say ten minutes away from where I am, and it's it's a com- I mean it's a pretty straight shot to where where he is. But on the way there, I passed this uh, fast food restaurant, and this fast food fr- and this fast food restaurant has probably been up for thirty plus years. Because um, actually, there's a big sign that says, you know, we've been serving you for 35 years, and we thank you for, you know, your patronage. But they were going to close. Um, but they said we will reopen, but we're just going to close for now. And and I thought, well, maybe they're upgrading it or something like that. I probably drove by there two days later, and they had demolished the entire thing. I mean, it was just a pile of rubble, absolute pile of rubble, and. I don't know. I was just drawn to watch this process. I, I found it so interesting. And there, there were things there, like they had a, a children's play area, and they had um, some just like like a tic tac toe block thing that's a large, you know, 
large uh, metal thing and it has plastic cubes on it that you can rotate to go X or O or something like that. You know, it's a little child's little toy. And I saw that stuff still kind of attached and placed, but they were knocking that whole thing out. I'm thinking, well, you know, why don't they, they should probably give that to something. I mean, they could use that. And, and the next time I went back, that whole thing was gone, totally toasted. I mean, it was just another big pile of rubble. And, and there was a couple things that came to mind as I got thinking, you know, that's probably when God says, when you go into a nation where we're going to clean out something, we leave, we leave no stone unturned. When he comes into us, he doesn't, he usually just cleans us out totally so that we can start from a clean slate. And I remember driving, I remember driving in the same direction and I, my mind was on something else, which it normally is. And I missed a turn. I was supposed to turn way before I hit this restaurant. And I just kept driving as if I was going to my friend's house. And after I passed that restaurant, um, I looked over and I noticed it. And I, and I noticed that there was this beautifully clean slate of concrete. It was a perfect rectangle. And they had just cleared everything off. I mean, it was if they had just laid it. But it was the foundation that was already there because, you know, the pile of rubble had been there for a while. So I know this wasn't a newly laid piece of concrete. So it was just a beautiful slab, pure foundation. And once I passed it, I realized that I had overshot my turn. And so I drove back and I was kind of wondering, I'm like, I wonder what that was all about. And it just was so clear to me. You always, I know with me and I'm sure with, with a lot of other people in the body in general, is clearing it out. Totally just clear, cleaning it up. He's not leaving anything there. He's saying, we are starting from scratch. We're starting from this pure foundation, and we're going to build from there. And we're going to just clean it up. Very chemotherapy kind of style. I mean, we are going to just annihilate what's there so we can start from scratch and, and renovate it and build it, to the what, and build it to what I see you should be and what you can be. And we're going to do that. And I'm not doing it because I'm going to shut you down. I, I, I'm not doing it because I don't want to have anything to do with you. I mean, the store says we are reopening. But for right now, we're going to we're going to shut down. We're closing down. And that ties into so many things. I talked about that when it came to ministry. I think I'm not sure if it was with your podcast, but ministers, they really God tries to do it privately. But if he doesn't get it done privately, he'll go public. So God's trying to tear us down in a private manner and say, let's start from scratch. Let's redo everything so that when we rebuild, it's exactly how I want it. And then we can be open to the public and then people can see us and then they can come in and we can minister to them and we can properly do what we need to do. Because right now we're not capable of doing it safely, you know, so we're just going to, we're just going to shut everything down. And to me, that whole scenario was just so amazing. I just, I, I saw that as such confirmation that, you know, we need to allow that to happen. It is not a fun experience. And I am not saying, oh, just just do it. It's, it's great fun. It's wonderful. In that, what's nice about it is God does bless us and allows us to have those moments of enjoyment because we get to know him more and more and more and more. But that process is destructive, it really is destructive. We just say, oh, God should just add to where we are and just bless us more. But the fact is, if we really want to be more like him, that requires, you know, as we talked about before, laying down our Isaac. I mean, it. I mean, you know, I'm sure Abraham loved his son, obviously. And the first thing God says is, well, he's going on the altar. And that had to be heart-wrenching for him. But he allowed that process to happen. And in the end, he didn't have to sa- sacrifice Isaac at all. But that's the thing is that, you know, we got to allow God to kind of clean us and get us down to the foundation so that we can, you know, truly be 
in that spot where he wants us to do. And like I said, with with chemotherapy as an example, this whole cancer thing is that God's trying to clear out all those bad cells to rebuild. But in the process, there's a lot of other stuff that has to get destroyed before we can get to a spot. And the whole purpose of that is to try to get it to where it's totally clean and it's starting from scratch and it's not creating these really bad cells anymore. And, um, and this whole cancer thing, I, I mean, it's just kind of riddled throughout um, – all these movies. I mean, I showed that when we were talking about Star Wars, that when, when the the Dark Lord was trying to convince Luke Skywalker to um, to go over to the dark side, he was implanting in us a, a, a thought pattern of look at all your friends. They're in, they're in dire straits, and you know you know that your friends are going to die. Um, so use your anger to kill me, and then you win, right? I mean, use your anger. And that's the problem is, uh, like I said in the Star Wars, that's what uh, uh, Master Yoda in the movie was trying to was say is that your fear leads to anger and your anger leads to hate. And then he says hate ultimately leads to suffering. And I think it ultimately leads to death is what happens. So I think we have to be very cautious. But uh, what what are some of your thoughts on that, Nate? Well, and I think the analogy of the... Uh of the cancer is a, is a good one. And, and the funny thing is, you know, most of us, if we went to a doctor, wouldn't be upset at the doctor. Um, if he, uh, if he told us we had cancer and, and laid out a, a treatment plan and, and how to go about that, we may not be happy about it, like you were saying, but, but we'd understand the need, but it's funny to me. It seems like with Christ, when, when he comes and shows us those things that need to change or need to be removed or need to do that, there's, there's always that tendency to be upset or angry about, well, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why, why do I have to go through that? And, and I think beyond that, your analogy with the building, just as far as a lot of times uh, having a, a, a little bit of a construction background, doing remodeling is actually more expensive and more costly than, than building brand new. Because you have to go back and you have to fix things. And, and the demolition part of that's always the easiest part. You know, it, it was always kind of funny going in and, and you could, demolish something in two or three hours that's yeah. that's not a hard part going back and trying to fix everything that was wrong you know if you're having to to reframe or, or reset trusses or foundations or or do all that that's where the process got time intensive and labor intensive and yeah. and because well, you have to get uh, inside things to be able to fix it you know you do and, and people look at it from the outside and say man you guys got this torn out in, in a day day and a half why is it taking you six weeks to put it back together and right and i think just not only with even general construction, things like that, but definitely when it comes to, to the church and, and with how that process goes about, I think there's a real lack of understanding about how that process plays out and what that is and that God is doing, He is building things with a permanence in mind. And, and I, I think it was Paul that was talking about, you know, that, that we only have one foundation, which is Jesus, but each of us chooses how we build on that, you know, whether we use gold or, or precious metals or, or diamonds, or whether we use wood, hay, and straw, and someday that's all going to be tested by fire, and, and we'll get a chance to see what's left. And I think too many times our tendency is to want to rush that process along. And, and just like in construction, you know, you've got good contractors that know what they're doing. They know the process. They know what has to be done, that you have to do step A before you can do step B, and the, that the reason you do this is so it doesn't affect this. And you have poor contractors that can go through and get the job done a lot faster and a lot cheaper, but the end result isn't something that, that's maybe necessarily the, the best long-term either. Star Wars has always been an interesting movie to me, um, or series to me, um, but I think definitely even even before the uh, you know the original three came out, the, the prequel ones were always kind of what stuck out to me with... Um, 
with uh, Darth Vader, you know, before he was uh, before he was Darth when he was Anakin, and just going through that whole process. And like you said, how much fear played into that whole process of making him who he was. And it was a it was a fear of death for uh, for the princess. Well, and his mom too at the beginning. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll look at his mom later on how that affected him and how he acted and reacted with uh, with the princess because he believed that something was going to happen to her and just just that process of again what fear does to us when we try to control things that were were never meant to be controlled and and what that leads us to do and and how that leads us to react to things and. And again, back to the cancer analogy and the building and things, there comes a point where you just have to trust he knows what he's doing when he's doing it. And even if it makes sense or, or it doesn't even feel good at the time, and I think every Christian can tell you times in their lives where that's been the case, that, you know what, this hurt, this was painful, this was not fun. But there was a reason behind it, that there was a hope and a trust and a faith that, that he was doing something that was going to be for my benefit down the road. And I think that's where the real test of the relationship comes in is, are you able to trust with those things? Are you able to trust with, with maybe not even things in your own life? Are you able to trust with things with your family, with your children, with your job, with your, your calling, all those things uh, that at some point or another, you know, I believe you're asked in, in different ways to give back up or to let go of, are you able to do that when that comes? So, right. And I remember, right. I think it was, uh, I think it was Graham Cook that talked about, you know, that, that, uh, salvation was, uh, was death on the installment plan, you know, carrying your cross was a continual process that it required right. something from you each day. Kind of that putting to death and, and putting away with those things and just, just being able to trust and believe that there is, there is something behind that. There is a purpose behind that, that he's right. not just, uh, and I'm just doing all that for fun. Well, and I had brought up um, also that, you know, the the part where there is the, the battle um, with God over the situation, I think is very important. I mean, people who, have, and obviously I've not gone through cancer, nor have I really had anybody that I've known who's gone through it or watched the counseling, but from what I've been told, at least in my experience with, with other situations when it came to health problems and family— um, you know, there is that anger. There is that bitterness and, and, and anger about the situation, and you can be angry at so many people. And unless you deal with it and, and try to battle through it, I mean, it it's probably just as bad as the cancer to some extent because it, it destroys everything else. And so I think it's important with that whole process that you are able to argue that time out with Yahweh. You're, you are able to battle and make that. And that kind of ties back into the the uh, what happens in Vegas. I mean, they fought all the time, but at the end of the day, you know, they were able to get to know each other so well because of that fight. And and also um, with the Matrix, when when uh, Seraph had said to you know Neo, he's like, "You truly don't know somebody until you fight them." And I think you know God's secure. I think it's okay to argue that out with Him. And I think as long as your heart is pure and you really want to know Him, He'll balance that out for you where that argument is, and and He'll show you more about Him. And uh, so I think it's important. So as you're being, as you're going through this process of the spiritual um, cleansing, and um, you you really begin to have those times with God that you really begin to argue with him and say, I hate this process. I don't like this. This is not good. This is not good for me, and I can't believe you would do this to me, and I don't like this about you, and I don't like this about you. And those fights, I'm sure God's going, bring it. Bring it. Let's talk. What do you hate? What is it you don't like about me? Let's discuss those parts. We need to, we need to deal with those parts. And I think that's what's unique about our 
religion, quote unquote, or our relationship with Yahweh is we have an interactive process with him. We're not just trying to serve him and do what he wants and we're just going to say, oh, you know, we did what he wants and that's great. That's what that's what's been promoted. But for that relationship to work, we need to have those moments where we don't like what's going on because then that opens us up. When we get angry, that opens us up to some extent. And then we're able to love more because we've allowed ourselves to kind of surrender that fear. And I think for people who are passive aggressive, that's really difficult because it really forces you to go, okay, I, I have to get mad here for like three minutes, Yahweh. And, and he's like, okay, bring it. I, I'm, I'm secure. I mean, he knows who he is. He's not worried about who he is. You know, he says, let's, let's talk about this. So, you know, I, going back to your point, I think that's really important. And I think that's a great clarification, too. You know, I think too many times it's it's easy to struggle with, well, why am I having these feelings? And I don't think it's necessarily that you are having those feelings. It's, again, how are you working that out? What are you doing with those? And, right. you know, again, to use that, that marriage analogy, you know, as, as you progress and you you mature in your relationship as a couple, you may still argue about some of the things that you argued about in the beginning. But as you move along and you're able to trust each other a little bit more, some of those situations aren't as stressful or aren't as divisive as they used to be because you've come to a point of trust and acceptance of who who your your spouse is that you can say, okay, you know what, I may not understand why you're doing this, but I, I trust and believe that you have my best interest at heart. Right. And I think that, that there's a working out with that uh, in the same way with our uh, with our spirituality and our faith. It's the same thing that, yeah, it's not that you don't have those questions. It's not that it doesn't hurt. It's not that you don't feel pain. It's not that any of those things, but you come to a point where, like you said, you're you're able to be open, you're able to be honest, you're able to be angry without sinning, all those things, but you're able to come to a point again at the end where it's, I, I trust what you're doing in this. And, and I think that's at the foundation of most relationships, that there has to be that point where you come to that, and if not, your relationship probably isn't going to be a very productive or very fruitful relationship because you're always going to be wondering... Um, what the real intentions are, what the real purpose of uh, of some of the situations are, and never fully have that trust. And there's something about a relationship, being able to trust somebody, even when you don't see or don't know or don't understand everything that's going on. And, and I think that's part of the, the definition of faith, you know, that, that there's there's those times where you have to be able to do that and you have to... Uh, you have to believe, even if you can't fully understand or can't fully see, even if you have tried to talk about it. You know, I, I think you see that with uh, with Jesus, you know, when, when he's supposed to, uh, the, the night before he's supposed to go on the cross, when he's begging, you know, please take this cup away yeah, from exactly, me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's was not that he, he's so excited about going through that. It's not that, you know, it wasn't a big deal. It was a very real, very stressful, very very personal situation, but being able to work that out, wrestle that out, and at the end for him to be able to say that not my will, your will be done. Exactly. And that's the the test for all of us, I think, in in what we do and what we struggle with, whatever that may be. Right. Well, kind of tying in with uh, where we were on The Office, I mean, let's let's get back to the fact that it it was a, a comedy show. I mean, that, you know, The Office is mixed with a lot of comedy plus it's also mixed with a lot of um serious moments and that's what makes it such a unique uh show i know you had made some comments about uh comedy in general and how you see that tied in with our spiritual walk um what what are some of those insights that you had i'd be interested to hear well I, I, it's just funny to me you know actually i was uh, i was working out a couple of days ago and all very serious into it and and uh, thought i was doing a good job and and I hear my two girls laughing downstairs and not just like, you know, a little chuckle, but like full out laughing. And 
and I paused what I was doing and looked at them and they were, they were watching me. Right. And my first natural reaction to that was like, well, what are they doing? You know, they need to stop that. That's just, that's just wrong. Right. And, and as I sat there and listened to them, you know, it, it occurred to me that I've never actually watched myself exercise before. So for all <laughs> I know, that that may be one of the funniest things they have ever seen. And, <laughs> and they weren't doing it out of a, a spirit of uh, uh, meanness or anger, anger or out of yeah. a spirit of meanness or, yeah, anything like that. They, they were genuinely laughing. And it just reminded me, you know, I think that sometimes we take ourselves way, way, way too seriously as as individuals. And, and I think sometimes the church has a danger of doing that, too, you know, where we get way too serious as as a church. And, and, and I think that comedy through some of those situations and, and whether it's TV shows or, you know, people that you know that are just funny people or things like that, I think that, that there's a, a very important specific way that that those situations and people are used in our lives to even further us and mature us in our faith, um, you know, to get us past maybe even things that we struggle with or certain issues that, that we're dealing with at, at a particular time that I think comedy sometimes is the only way you can get past those. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I think I talked to you or one of the stories I remembered was, a uh, was Moses and Exodus. Um, when God's kind of doing his, uh, his recruiting pitch to Moses, um, trying to talk him into uh, going back to Egypt to uh, to lead the people uh, to lead the people out of slavery, and, and one of the verses that stuck out to me, I think, it was Exodus four three, when uh, when God's going through this and He tells Moses to throw his shepherd's staff on the ground, and Moses does it, right. and uh, it turns into a stake, and and a couple of versions, I think, it was the New King James and uh, NIV say that Moses ran or that Moses fled away, mm-hmm. and it just that that always jumped out to me about kind of a practical, uh, the practical joking nature of God and, and just how that situation kind of develops for God to, uh, to be able to use that as, as a point of humor. And I started cracking up about it, you know, cause I can just imagine that process and, and, and the Trinity being there and just kind of laughing about, here's this man, this, this leader that we've called, that's going to lead millions out, that's going to go face the, you know, the most pagan nation of the time and all these things. And, and he's running away from a snake, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and and just that that kind of whole process, how that that's really bad picture of of a good leader, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, just that whole thing of of all these things that maybe he had built him up himself to be. You know, he'd been a shepherd for what forty some years in the desert. Right. I'm sure he'd encountered snakes before. Just all these things, just going through that, and God kind of pulls the first, uh, maybe the first practical joke that, that's recorded going through that process <laughs> of okay, throw that down, and then watching him run away, and then right. having to stand there and wait for him to come back. You know, I think that's the, the funny part of any practical joke is seeing, seeing it work to a point where somebody leaves or gets scared right. or, or runs away and then, and then being there when they come back and just, to me, in some ways, kind of alleviating some of the tension or stress that could have been going on with that. Like, okay, we can move past this now. We can get, get on with this. You've got fears. You've got insecurities. We all know about it. What are we going to do about it from this point on? Right. right. And I think there's those times in life that you can really only laugh at uh, at what's going on, and and anything else just doesn't get you uh, doesn't get you by or doesn't get you through in the same way. So. Right. You'd also mentioned some stuff about um, Graham Cook um, had seen and some stuff with Elijah. What were some of those things that you were showing? Yeah, I, I remember there was uh, just kind of you know that that process. I remember Graham Cook talking once about uh, about Aaron. You know that he that. Um, he personally, Graham was having a, a hard time with some stuff and really in kind of a, a low point in his life. And I was doing some, some praying and meditation and, and kind of going through stuff and got led to, to, uh, to the passage in Exodus. I think it was 32, 22, if I remember right. I don't have that with me. 
Um, but it, it, it's Moses up on the mountain, you know, receiving the law from God. And, and while he's up there, the, the children of, of Israel, the, the nation of Israel is, is being led into sin and being led into sin by Aaron. Um, and so they bring Aaron all the gold and, 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 uh, he makes a golden calf for him and they start to worship it saying, you know, this is a God that brought us out of Egypt and all this stuff while Moses is up there. And, and Graham said that while he was in his meditation time, you know, and, and prayer time and going through that, that it just really stood out to him about that whole process. And, and, you know, Moses coming down from the mountain and it said that, that he was angry, you know, and, and to, to him it stood out as, you know, he was as angry as you've ever seen anybody be angry before and and he comes down off the mountain and and you know so that that they hear this great commotion like there's a war in the camp and and all these things that's how loud the people were being and and so he comes down and asks Aaron what's going on and 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 Aaron's response here he is the the second in command you know supposed to be Moses's right hand man um there in leadership with him and Aaron's response is well I I threw all the gold into the fire and this calf came out right and you know it, it, Graham said that just struck him as one of the funniest <laughs> one of the funniest moments he, he'd ever read that here you've got Moses as, as angry as he could be about what's going on and he had just pled for for Israel to to not be destroyed by God and then he comes down and he's upset and angry and, and Aaron gives him just this ridiculous story about well you know, it wasn't my fault. I just threw all the gold in the fire, and that popped out. And just, just again, kind of the the humor that that goes along with that. But I think too many times we miss uh, we miss with the character of God. And and I remember the having a brother in law who, who was one of one of his favorite pictures was uh, was a picture of Jesus laughing. You know, it was the only picture of Jesus he had. But but just I think we forget that aspect and that character and the nature of God. And and with Elijah, you see that too. You know, when he's having his showdown with the prophets of Baal and 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 going through that whole thing, you see Elijah actually even just mocking, <laughs> mocking them about, you know, maybe you need to be louder, maybe he's on vacation, maybe he's in the bathroom, you know, just going on and on and on. And, and I think there's even an aspect of the the laughing and the comedy that, that even kind of works out into to warfare in some ways, because you, you see that, I, I think it's in Psalms, it was in Psalms 2, I think. Um, where where the writer is talking about how God laughs at his enemies, and right. there's a Psalms two four yeah. that yeah, that there's an aspect of that about warfare kind of playing out, and you see that as I was thinking about that kind of back and forth. You've got situations either of God laughing at his enemies or his enemies laughing at God's people, and kind of how that plays back and forth. But but again, how we how we just at times individually and and even corporately as a church just take ourselves way too seriously, and it's it's okay to step back and uh, and laugh a little bit about some of the silliness that uh, that goes on or that uh, that we're a part of either in our own lives or in the uh, the corporate lives of the church and it's not a uh, it's not not necessarily a bad thing all the time to be able to allow that to move us past some things that maybe we would have issues with or or that we need to be able to laugh about because you know we are a as a as Peter said, a peculiar people, and, and yeah. I think that's definitely played out in in a lot of churches. And it's okay to be okay with that sometimes to laugh right. about it and uh, and understand that, and not be so uh, so serious. The thing that comes to mind is um, when you talk about Aaron. I'm uh, you know when a parent comes in and they uh, they see something that's broken, and they know, especially if you're an only child, they know who did it. There's just no doubt they know who did it, and that child will come up with the craziest cockamamie story you can think of 
And to some extent, I mean, it's not always the case, but I've noticed that sometimes, you know, parents just find that really funny. I mean, obviously there's going to be some, you know, some punishment for it, but when they make up this weird, dumb story, it's just, it's, it's humorous. Cause you're like, you realize I know what happened. You know, this, this is yeah. a ridiculous story. So, I mean, even in our everyday process, we run into that where we're just like, How oh, you've got to be kidding me. That's what comes out, yeah? Yeah, exactly. That, that's what you came up with. I mean, I, I know yeah, you did it. So better than that. Yeah, yeah exactly. This, this didn't really yeah. come out as well as you thought it should have. <laughs> but it was a good attempt, yeah. and I appreciate it. But uh, no, A for effort, trouble, but that's buddy. about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Yeah, that's yeah. some interesting stuff. I mean, yeah, I would totally agree. I think um, we're all built in his image. So we obviously know that we have characteristics of him. So if we're like this, we know that the extreme nature of all those qualities in Yahweh have just got to be intense. The funny part of it, the comedy part of it, the anger part of it, the love part of it, every part of it has just got to be so much larger. So, I mean, you know, with like with the comedy thing, I mean, oftentimes that he's got to be laughing at us just going, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, but he, he loves us so much that he finds it humorous. The same thing with your child. I mean, they obviously, you know, totally screwed up. But uh, it's the fact that you love them and you want to see them get better that it becomes a funny situation. Well, like you say, yeah, this is aspects of, you know, if, if he wanted to, you you would not find a funnier person than <laughs> than him on any given day. And, and he could kill you laughing, literally, with with what he would do. And I think, again, we just, the the tendency, especially nowadays, and, you know, there, there are a lot of pressures in life. There's a lot of... Uh, situations and circumstances and, you know, jobs and houses and economies and, and all these things that just weigh in. I, I think every once in a while it, it's okay to just kind of step back and, and just laugh, you, you know, right. just to be okay with, okay. Well, that's well, that, the piece that, that passes understanding. Yeah. And, and whether that's, you know, exercising that, okay, you know what, I look like an idiot to my kids and that's okay. You know, I, right. I don't have to be so self-conscious about that, that, that I have to protect my pride and my self-esteem by getting angry at them, I probably look like an idiot. And, and, right. and that's okay. And that's okay. You know, and and it, it's things that, you know, we do as a church. You know, I think I think there's times where we need to step back and say, well, you know, that that was not the brightest idea. And, and to be able right. to laugh about some of that stuff, too, to learn right. from those mistakes, obviously, while, while we're going through that process. Right. But, right. but also to be able to step back and laugh and and see us the way that sometimes other people do and be okay with that. You know, to be comfortable enough in our own in our own skin and who we are and, and what we're doing that, that we can take a little bit of a, a good natured joke like that. You know, most people don't want to be around the guys who can't laugh at themselves or, or the, the people who are, are too serious or who get offended easily by stuff like that. And, and right. I think that, that as a church, sometimes we would, we would be well reminded to, uh, to be a little more like that. It's okay to be, to be a little bit, uh, a little bit jovial every now and then. When we're in the darkest of situations that we end up finding him, to be the most um, comforting. I mean, you know, everybody, we, we read the, the whole footsteps um, poem that's been out there for who knows how long of, you know, well, when I was walking down the beach, I saw two sets of footprints. And then whenever there was times of struggle, I only saw one. And he's like, well, that was because I was carrying you. So, I mean, at, at those darkest times, you know, that's when he draws us into him. Obviously, during the good times, we should be there with him, as you would with your spouse. I mean, you you spend those times together, good and bad. You know, and it, it it's funnier because it's almost opposite with our human relationships. When things get really tough, sometimes we try to run away from the person that they're getting tough with, and we're like, well, we want to have nothing to do with you. And then when things get really tough, that's when we tend to go, oh, Yahweh, we need you to save us and stuff like that. And it's always the opposite. When things are really good, we're fine with our, you know, the, our spouse or whoever, but... Um, 
you know, with God, we just kind of forget the fact that he exists during those good times, you know? So I think, obviously, that's not a, a 100% true. I remember Aaron saying, you know, it's not like you kiss your brains goodbye and you laugh at all these horrible things that are happening to you. It's right, not a... Right. It's not a uh, sense of uh, lunacy or, right. or anything it's crazy just the like piece that. That's, it's just a piece that passes understanding. We can't understand it. I've had many of those occasions where things are going terribly wrong and there should be nothing I should be happy about. And all of a sudden there's just this peace and rest. And it's unexplainable because there's no situation. There's nothing that I've done. I haven't changed my diet or my outlook on things. I've just said he just comes and it just is a resting piece and then things can get readjusted in those moments and he's like okay you know where you are you know where you stand let's start from here and let's readjust and that's when you're able to rejoice in those moments because he's come at those at the oddest times and there's no way that you can explain it except for him and that was the point Graham was making too you know is that that had been that was the spirit acting as the comforter and, and that there's times where it's like that that you know it's okay to laugh in the middle of what's what's going on again, you know, using that example of here's this pivotal moment in the nation of Israel when they should be worshiping when, you know, the law is coming down, all these great things. And here's this humorous situation right in the middle of it. <laughs> and that, that it's okay to, to break that tension every now and then with a laugh. And then, you know, like we discussed earlier, you, you do move on from that. You learn from that. But sometimes again, I think that those times, Sometimes your growth may only come through being able to just kind of give it a chuckle or to kind of laugh it off or to, to be able to say, you know what, that that really hurt. And it's like teaching, teaching your kid to ride a bike. We've had to do that with our daughter here the last uh, last summer, summer and a half. And, you know, there's times where you're going to fall off your bike as you're learning. There's nothing you can do to, to change that. That's part of the learning process for everybody. And, and that's what we try to teach her. You're going to fall that you can learn how to fall better and you can learn that when you fall, you've got to get back up and you've got to do it again and, and just keep going with that. And sometimes you can only laugh at how, again, ridiculous you may look through that process because it really is, you know, to, to the people, to the people from the outside looking in, I'm sure a lot of the things that we do as individuals, as Christians and, and as a church corporately really are just kind of silly looking things. And we need to we need to understand and be okay with that, and, and maybe even be able to join with them and and poking a little bit of good natured fun at that every now and then, with the understanding that that again we don't take ourselves so seriously that we're uh, that we're not able to do that. And, and I think getting back to kind of the office analogy too, that's that to me is part of where Jim Jim and Pam's relationship played out was the beginning of that and how that worked out was the two of them, you know, when they were pulling pranks, when they were, when they were doing those things together, when, when they were on the same page with that, that's kind of when the relationship blossomed and grew and, and reached a different level of maturity. It, it was through those times, you know, the, the laughing, not that everything was great with Pam's life or with Jim's life or any of those, but they were able to share that together and kind of joke it off or laugh it off or, or be able to, to look at that in a different light than, than maybe they would have alone or, or by themselves. Well, I'm going to stop there for now. I think we're going to have to go to a part three. Um, so once again, um, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at sjacksonpro at me.com. That's sjacksonpro at me.com. And remember, take it to Yahweh. Always ask him, get his opinion on everything that you hear and see. And we look forward to seeing you on our next episode.